That was the voice of God from Benjamin Britten's Canticle to Abraham and Isaac. Welcome to Sparks and Wiry Cries. We're your hosts, Erica Switzer <laughs> and Martha Guth. This is a piece we're going to hear more about later in the show. We are devoting our entire show today to two of Benjamin Britten's canticles. The first one being especially appropriate to the season, The Journey of the Magi. Magi? Magi. Magi. But even before that, we need to talk about Britten and why he rocks. <laughs> well, Benjamin Britten does rock, for the record. I think I fell in love with his music when I attended the Britten Peers School, which is in the Snape Maltings in England, that, not too far from Alderborough. I sat in that building looking out those windows where he performed, worked, lived, looking at his landscape and listening to his music, and I found, felt this deep connection between his musical language and the geography, the landscape around me, and I never expected to marry those two things together, music and geography, but nonetheless, I felt like his music, its colors reflected the colors in in the landscape, that the size of his music fitted, fit the size of the landscape. There was just this one-to-one -one ratio, and I found it very moving. And I think like you, Erica, I, I am incredibly drawn to his music. I have always considered Benjamin Britten to be one of my desert island composers, and these pieces uh, very specifically I find incredibly moving. I also love Britten because he tends to choose poets that I also adore, people like W.H. Auden, and very specifically today, for our purposes, uh, T.S. Eliot. He was the poet for Journey of the Magi. T.S. Eliot was a Nobel Prize winner uh, for 1948. He is one of the best-known poets of the 20th century. He was very popular. He actually gave lectures in football stadiums. And to me, in this day and age, I cannot even imagine uh, a poet garnering that kind of response. No, I can't even imagine how the people in the audience could hear him. In a what kind of sound system that did they have? Well, they must have had some kind of amplification. But uh, so. incredible. Um, but it is incredible. It makes one nostalgic for a time that I never knew. <laughs> At any rate, he was American-born. He was educated at Harvard, uh, the Sorbonne in Paris, and Oxford in England. He did stay in England after that, and but he does credit both countries, uh, the U.S. and England, with shaping him as a writer. He speaks in a very distinctly 20th century voice, and I would say um, a 20th century voice that has been influenced by the world wars very specifically. He was emulated uh, by the next generation of poets and also by his colleagues. Um, of this poem very specifically, our first five lines are based on a sermon that was given in 1622 by Lancelot Andrews. And if anybody out there knows that name, they will also know that he was also the prime translator for the King James Version of the Bible. We are also very lucky today that we have a recording of T.S. Eliot himself reading his poem. And uh, it also begins with just a little introduction where he talks about the group of poems that, that the Journey of the Magi comes from. So take it away, Mr. Eliot. There's no uh, 
significance in these four poems being called aerial poems. They were merely contributed to a series of new poems by various poets called the aerial series, which were offered with illustrations during those four years to the public as a kind of highbrow Christmas card. So these were written for four successive Christmas seasons. I uh, shall read a Journey of the Magi. A cold coming we had of it, just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The ways deep and the weather sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels called, saw-footed, refractory, lying down in the melting snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces and the silken girls bringing sherbet. Then the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away and wanting their liquor and women and the night fires going out and the lack of shelters and the cities hostile and the towns unfriendly and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night sleeping in snatches with the voices singing in our ears saying that this was all folly. Then at dawn, we came down to a temperate valley, wet below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness, and three trees on the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information, and so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon finding the place. It was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago. I remember, and I would do it again, but set down this, set down this, where we led all that way for birth or death, there was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. The Journey of the Magi was written in 1971 while Britton was working on Death in Venice. And in fact, he used the same singers from the cast of Death in Venice. They are James Bowman, countertenor, John Shirley Cork, baritone, and of course, Peter Pierce, tenor. The characters, the three Magi, are Melchior, Balthazar, and Caspar. And in the music, these three men are uh, characterized. They're characterized for their royal background. As Graham Johnson points out, we hear their high-born origin in luxurious and sinuous lines. They tell their story in a distant kind of past tense, so they're remembering what happened a long time ago, and sometimes they're remembering things together. So we hear them sing in unison, in rhythmic unison, unison I should say. And occasionally, 
one person's memory cues the others. And so you hear this out of syncness that is humanizing to these three characters that, you know, we remember as, as Bible stories, basically. You hear the camel sway in the opening measures of the piece, and you hear three old men and their friendship and their telling of a story that was extremely meaningful in their lives. Our performers today are Dan Taylor, countertenor, Ben Butterfield, tenor, Brett Poligato, baritone, Stephen Rawls, piano. This is Benjamin Britten's The Journey of the Magi.
Satisfactory. 
again. But set down these. 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 Today's recording was released by the Aldebaran Connection, and the Aldebaran Connection was founded by pianists Stephen Rawls and Bruce Ubicata. They were once upon a time staff members at the Britain Peers School, and back home in Toronto, they put together a Sunday afternoon recital series, which features young performers as well as established uh, musicians from the Canadian scene. They take musical selections and surround them with readings of letters and diaries, newspaper clippings, really anything to put these songs into some kind of a framework. Uh, they've been doing this now since 1982, and they've presented over 100 different programs. Dan Taylor, the countertenor on today's recording, is originally from Ottawa and lives in Montreal. You'll find him listening to jazz legend Nina Simone, but lest you think he is a classical music shirker, his next concerts are at Carnegie Hall and the Teatro Colón in Buenos Aires and with the New York Philharmonic, so not too shabby. No, not at all. 
Uh, our tenor Ben Butterfield lives in Victoria, BC, and that's also where he teaches, and you'll find him listening to his students' recitals at UVic, among other things. Ben has a really vast and illustrious performance roster all over Europe and North America, um, but he did relate this to us as his funniest concert experience. In a performance of The Barber of Seville, he forgot his sword in the finale of Act One. He spent the first 10 minutes of the time on stage trying to indicate to those in the wings that they needed to get to his dressing room, get the sword, and make it available. Uh, he said he finally spun off on stage into the wings, uh, into the belt, fastened it, spun back on stage, drawing his sword for the key sequence. <laughs> you know, I can actually hear him laughing while you telling you know, telling the story in his <laughs> words. Incredible. Brett Polagato hails from Niagara Falls, but currently lives in Toronto. He thinks the best lattes in Toronto are from Bulldog, his local coffee shop. And he's currently working on a production at Moscow's Bolshoi Theatre on a production of Fotsek. Uh, one of our pianists today, Bruce Ubicata, was born in Goderich, Ontario. He would love to find himself in Venice at the Trattoria Madonna eating calamari fritti. Uh, as his worst concert experience, he relates uh, that when once in England, he was required to remove bubblegum from the swell pedal of the Canterbury Cathedral organ while Dr. Gerald Knight himself was performing. <laughs> Stephen Rawls, English-born, lives in Toronto with his partner Bruce. His soundtrack of late has been Brett Polagato's recording of Butterworth's A Shropshire Lad. He recommends Loire, a Toronto restaurant, especially for their duck breast and confit leg. And his favourite performance to date was with baritone Gerald Finley at Wigmore Hall in London. Moving on to our second musical performance of the podcast is our Canticle to Abraham and Isaac. Now, this text was actually based on the Chester mystery plays. And what, you may ask, are those? So I've got a couple of definitions for you. A play that dramatizes an episode from the Old or New Testament is called a mystery. One that dramatizes the life of a saint, by the way, is called a miracle. And the reason why is because the word mystery comes from the French word mystère, meaning craft. And uh, apprentices who joined guilds would learn their mystery or craft. And when these guildsmen began dramatizing the Bible stories, their plays thus became known as, quote, mysteries. So in Chester, the town of Chester in England, there were 23 of these ancient company guilds that, uh, in fact, still survive today. They were performed always in the vernacular, so in English, and they all contained local variations to suit the tastes of different audiences, um, and each guild would pick their story. So specifically, Noah and his ship were performed by the water leaders. The Last Supper was... <laughs> performed by the grocers and the bakers. The crucifixion was performed by the ironmongers. And uh, for our purposes today, Abraham and Isaac was performed by the surgeons. <laughs> <laughs> These plays have been revived in modern times and are presented in the city of Chester, England, every five years, next in 2013. Abraham and Isaac is essentially an operatic type of scene but created for the concert stage, specifically for Peter Piers and Kathleen Ferrier, who first performed it in Nottingham in 1952. The text is an extract from Histories of Lot and Abraham. It's specifically the story of the sacrifice of Isaac. And Britton had a real stroke of genius when he set the words to music because he had the idea to create the voice of God by marrying the sound of a countertenor to that of a tenor. And what you kind of get out of that is 
a not masculine, not feminine sound, something very balanced. It's otherworldly, simply, and the musical setting is astonishingly beautiful. Another incredible moment for me in this music is actually the transition out of the voice of God into the human voice of Abraham. You have this not feminine, not masculine sound in a long sustained decrescendo by the countertenor, out of which emerges an extraordinary crescendo by the tenor, and it sounds like out of, out of this holiness comes something more masculine than you ever could have mad- imagined in that moment. Uh, the characterization of the boy and of the father continues through the piece. You hear the development of their emotions from the boy's innocence through to his willingness to be sacrificed and the father's struggles as he goes along and all of the you know, tools of music are at play, the way that Britton uses rhythm and harmony, the way he layers the voices, the way that he uses registral shifts in the piano and vocal gestures to create the story. That is what he's doing. He's really creating a musical story. And finally, Abraham and Isaac closes with a hymn that heals the, the pain of this drama. Our performers today are Dan Taylor, Ben Butterfield, and pianist Bruce Rubicata. Once again, this is Abraham and Isaac, Benjamin Britton. Must do a little thing. 
And King of Bliss, thy bidding shall be done. I wish, honored whether here I see among the briars tied as he to thee offered shall he be an honor right in this place, an honor right in this place. Sacrifice. Great God. 
Thanks to our magnificent producer, Matthew Principe, the wise man of podcasting. You can learn more about today's performers through the Alderborough Connection website. More information can also be found on our own websites, uh, marthaguth.com and ericaswitzer.com. Thanks for listening. Yep, you've been listening to Sparks and Wire Cries. I'm Martha Guth. And I'm Erica Switzer.